uh, what I want to kind of think about, like it's summertime, you know, as we we're about halfway through summer, but then I think about it, I'm like, we're actually a little further than halfway. You know, it's just a couple of weeks left and then uh, school starting up, but I hope you've had a good summer. Some of you have been on vacation, which is great. My family, we did not take a vacation this year. It was uh, just too much, right, with school and sports and, and uh, camp and stuff like that. So I kind of had to live through you this summer. So I've been watching you guys, you know, seeing your posts, uh, your trips to Europe, your trips to Asia, your road trips, your cruises, your, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's been fun to see. Uh, you might be like us, though, when you plan vacations, you, uh, you start, starts with a dream, you kind of start thinking, like, what? where do we want to go? Where do we want to do? And then you start planning it, and uh, then you start paying for it, right? Putting the, the airfare, the lodging, and those kinds of things. But it's still a little ways off, so you kind of forget about it. Kind of life gets moving, and you keep going. And every once in a while, you daydream about it. Kind of just think a little bit about it. Oh, we can't wait for vacation. But then life keeps going, and you forget about it. Until, like, a few days before, and you kind of, like, look at each other. You're like, you guys, do you realize we're going on vacation in just three days? And, you, you know, it becomes, like, so clear all the things you have not prepared for, right? Who's going to pick up the mail, right, for you? Uh, who's going to take care of the dog? You know, like, how do we forget the dog? And so you're kind of looking at everyone at church. You're thinking, like, college kids, young adults, who would want to stay at our house? You know, those kinds of things. You... You get out the, the luggage and you realize that, it, you know, your, your kids who once were young and had that Buzz Lightyear luggage, now they're in high school and they don't want that anymore. So now you have to get luggage for them and all of that and all those things that you do at the last minute. And then you can finally go on vacation and love every minute of it. Uh, I was thinking about that just as I watch your vacations. But also just in this, in this series, it made me think that many of us, we look at kind of heaven in that same way, right? We, uh, when we become a Christian, we know that we're going to heaven, and we know that that's the end result, and we do a little bit of planning for it and that kind of stuff, but then, you know, it seems like a long ways off, and life happens, and we get busy, you know, doing all the kinds of things, and we don't really think about it until we hear a sermon on it or someone talks about it a little bit, so then we daydream a little bit about it, but we get back into our lives then we get that moment of panic because we look at the world around us, you know, wars and rumors of wars. And you see the diseases that are all over. You see the, the, the ice caps that are melting and the world that is flooding and the, the world that's getting hot and the plastic in the ocean and the shrinking rainforest. We see food and water scarcity. And you just think like, the Lord must be coming back soon. And we start to panic because we look at our our lives, our friends and families and neighbors, and we realize how many of them still do not know Christ, and we panic. But is that the way that we should live? Right? Is that really the model that we want to put forth, or is there a different way? We've been in this series called Kingdom Come. We've been looking at the kingdom of God. And we started with it saying that this is something so important to Jesus. He says, this is your priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. But yet, when we talk amongst ourselves in a small group and we're asked to define or describe what is the kingdom of God, we don't have a lot of answers, you know? It's kind of like, yeah, I'm in the kingdom and a king. And uh, some of us, we kind of talk about, like, that must be heaven. That's what heaven is like when his kingdom comes. But we don't have a lot of... Uh, 
to hold on to. And so that is our hope during this sermon series that we look at this. We're going to be helping all of us see that this is not just an idea. It's not just a thought. But this is a real reality. This is our reality. That if we are Christians, then we are members of a kingdom much bigger than this. We're we're members of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so we've been looking through Scripture to kind of see uh, throughout the Old Testament where it is and how it's proclaimed and how, how we see it and who is this king. And so we have this chart, which we've put up from time to time, to kind of help us um, just visualize it. But we started in the beginning, the first two chapters of the Bible, where we saw this pattern of the kingdom, this, the kingdom in Eden, that this is God. He is king, and he reigns, and he brought a people forth and said, here you are to subdue this world, lead, all right? Be, be rulers in this world, but do it under my authority. Follow me. And that's the pattern, but then it, it fell apart where men and women, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, didn't follow him as king, didn't obey his law, but disobeyed him. They were removed from the garden. Then we saw the promised kingdom that, that Jesus did, or God did not give up on that, that he called a man named Abram and said, with you, you are going to be the, the, the first of this family that is going to bless the world. We saw that come into fruition in the partial kingdom with David and Solomon, where they led the kingdom of Israel under God's authority. And we saw the best days of Israel's history, the beautiful days, but it was partial because it was just for Israel. But then they disobeyed and they fell away from the Lord and they served other gods. And pretty soon they were exiled, they were removed. And so then the prophets came in and they they talked about the prophesied kingdom, saying that God has not given up, that God is about to do a new work, do something amazing. A new covenant is coming. We saw that in the present kingdom when Jesus came and says, I am the center of this kingdom. I am the king and I bring the new covenant. The new covenant is in my blood. I will die on the cross and I will bring peace between you and God and one another. Come to me in faith and you will enter in this kingdom. You don't have to be an Israeli citizen. You don't have to be circumcised. You come to me in faith. But then something interesting happened. That Jesus died, he was resurrected, but then he ascended to heaven. And he left. And we're left to saying, okay, well, what about this kingdom? You brought the kingdom. He told us. He says, you see, the kingdom is in your midst. It's here. But what happens when he ascended to heaven? Did the kingdom go with him? Is the kingdom far away? And are we left, again, as exiles on this land? Well, we see today, we're going to see the proclaimed kingdom. The proclaimed kingdom is what we're living in today. Everything we've studied so far the last few weeks has been in the past. But today we're here, right now, in the church age, or as Joel calls it, the last days. We are living in the last days. And I'll call this the proclaimed kingdom because that's what we are to do. The kingdom is here now. Jesus brought it, and even though he went to heaven, he left this kingdom here. 
But he says, I'm going to bring it in its fullness when I return the second time. Then it will come. It will come to earth and it will be all that we, we see in the end of Revelation, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. But the question is, is how do we live between Jesus' first coming and his second coming? Whenever that is. We don't know when he'll return. But how do we live? What's it like? What kind of people are we to be? Well, Jesus gets a, gives us a clue when he's here on earth that he's saying that there's going to be something very special happening. When I leave in this time, in these last days, something very special will come. And so how do we, what is that? What is that something special? How do we live? And then what is the goal? What's the goal of our lives? What's the goal of the church during this time? So these would be some of the questions we're asking today. And hopefully uh, in the next, yeah, you know, 25 minutes or so, we get some answers. So I kind of help you understand how we live in this time. So as we wait for Jesus' return, all right, as we wait for his return, whenever that will be, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we follow Jesus, as we proclaim his kingdom through our worship, words, and deeds. So that's what we'll look at. But let's look at this first. We proclaim the kingdom in the last days. Okay? We here, we're living in the last days. We don't know how many there are. Right? God has said, that's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. But you are in the last days. Peter, in the, in the book of Acts, kind of talks about this. And he quotes Joel. And he says, in the last days, God says, I'll do something special. And here's what he says. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so what is special about this time that they didn't have back then in the Old Testament all right, before Jesus, what is, what is special about now? He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. So one of the first things that we have to understand, that God is doing something special in these last days. We're a part of it, and it involves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured out on us. You know, for many of us that have grown up in the church, we know about the Holy Spirit. He used, in some translations, the Holy Ghost, right? They kind of changed that a little bit. But the Holy Spirit, we, we know about God the Father. We're really intimate and close with, with Jesus the Son. But the Holy Spirit is always one that, especially for uh, our tradition, is, is hard for us to understand. Hard for us to kind of get our heads around and arms around and understand what that is. But so essential for us living today that we understand how we participate, how we, uh, how we work with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. But he says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on everyone, on all people. Okay, that's different too. It's for everyone. Not just for those who come in a line with Israel, but it's for everyone. That's always been God's heart. He's done that from the very beginning with Abraham. Kind of said, I'm gonna, you're going to be blessed and all the world. All the people on earth will be blessed. And we see those things throughout Scripture. Even to Jesus' day, he says, I've come to preach the kingdom of God to all the nations. So this is a special work of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus told them that it would happen. All right? He told them they would happen. If you look at the first chapter of Acts, as, uh, it's kind of after the resurrection. And Jesus is still with his disciples. And it says this. He says, after his suffering, the crucifixion, 
right? He presented himself to them, that's the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that. Like many convincing proofs that he was alive. Not just, you know, look at the nails on my hands, but he gave them many proofs. I don't know what they are, but I love that he was with his disciples, even in their doubt, like, we've never seen this happen. Are you really alive? Are you really here? And he kept, he kept showing them again and again. I love that. He appeared to them for 40 days, and he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. Then it says on one occasion, while he was eating with them, that's probably one of the proofs that he was showing, right? Dead people don't eat. He's alive. He eats. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Ooh, what is the gift? What is the gift that his father promised? You've heard me talk about it. He says, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right, the Holy Spirit. So he's with them. 40 days. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and he says that the Holy Spirit is going to be here. He's connecting the Holy Spirit to the kingdom of God. He's going to be here with you. He's going to lead you. Then in verse 6, they ask him, said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, he'd been talking about the kingdom of God, but they still, still slow to pick it up. And they say, but what about Israel? What about Israel? Are you going to restore it? Is it going to come back to the time of Solomon? Is now the time that that's going to happen? And I love what he just says. He doesn't kind of get mad at him. He says, it's not to, for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Do not worry about when that kingdom comes. Okay, don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. It's going to be fine. Right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? To the ends of the earth. He's like, this is bigger than Israel. Right? You guys keep thinking too small. You're thinking too small. You're just thinking about your little, your little section of the world. But this, the kingdom of God, is bigger than that. It's for the whole world. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who's going to be with you and lead you and give you the power. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them from their sight. While they were looking up intently into the sky, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So he's telling them he's going to return. But in between his first coming and his second, you have the Holy Spirit. You are to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive. In you. And do you. That is hard to comprehend. Because you may not feel very powerful. But the power is there. Sometimes we don't see it. In this building, there is power. I don't just mean the Holy Spirit, but I mean electrical power. Right? It's all there. We don't see it. And we're safe from it. But it's there. Remember once when I was in college, I had a job doing construction and uh, worked for a construction company. And when I say construction, I mean, I was the guy with the wheelbarrow picking up trash. 
really, right? I remember one job, uh, we were building a church, they had a gymnasium, and it was my job, I had special training for this, to take the little outlet switches, those little, you know, 90 cent outlets, and, and, and put them, you know, in place. That was my job. But I looked at these outlets, and I'm like, they're upside down, right? You know, the three prongs, you know, they're facing up, but in my house, they're always, you know, it was down. And so I said, I'll fix that. I can fix that. So I just took it, bare hands and all, and just twisted it. But let me tell you what happens when you twist an outlet. Uh, the power uh, goes right through that outlet into my hand, and my whole body knocked me on the floor. And uh, I learned that even though you cannot see the power, that it is there, right? A lesson I learned once, okay? Did not have to do that twice. So we just said, oh, it'll be fine. They can stay upside down. It's okay. <laughs> but that, that point is like, we don't always see the power of the Spirit. And we often pray for that, right? Before a mission trip or something, we say, Lord, give us power to do this. You've got that power within you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and the power is there. The power, what is it for? To be witnesses, right? He says, I want you to take this message, this message of the kingdom, and take it to this world. I want you to proclaim it. Proclaim it as long as it takes. Some say, well, how long is that? When will you return, Jesus? When will you come back? He says, don't worry about that. In Peter, Peter talks about it. He's like, don't you remember, like, one day to the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So, I mean, really, it's been like two days, you know, since he, he left. Maybe it'll be three days. Maybe it'll be more. I don't know. How long will it be? We don't worry about that, and that's not going to throw us off. He says, just remember this. Keep remembering that, but also remember what God has done in you. Right? He's not slow in keeping his promise. He does, he's, here's the reason for the delay. I don't want anyone to perish. All right? I want all to be able to find that forgiveness. Everyone to come enter into the kingdom of God. Right? But he says that day will come like a thief. It'll be a surprise. It'll come quick. Thieves don't send like save the date cards, right? So we're not going to get that. But he says, be prepared and just be ready and live within the power of the Holy Spirit and let him lead you and guide you. And while you're here, proclaim that message. Proclaim the message of the kingdom. Share it with others. It's not something we keep to ourselves. We want to share that with the people in our lives. In Acts 19, verse 8, I love how Paul, I mean, completely understanding the, the sovereignty of God, completely understanding how the Holy Spirit works, yet he still proclaims this. He said he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And in verse 28, he says the same thing. He witnessed to them morning to evening, explaining the kingdom of God and the law of Moses and the prophets. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. That's power. That is a power. Doing that within us. That same Paul who preached persuasively wrote this. 
this verse, which is true, very, very true for our church, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. He says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. All right, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors for him. We proclaim this message, be reconciled to God. So as we look at this last days, what do we do? What do we, how do we interact with this kingdom? We know our king, we love our king, and we proclaim this kingdom. We share it with those people that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives, remembering that he's the one that does the work. But we're going to be faithful and just share that with the people in your school, people at work, people in your family, people on your street, people on your teams, on your clubs. We share that message. What do we do? We don't sit quietly, do nothing. We proclaim the, the, the kingdom of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So that's the first thing. But we also see that the, the Holy Spirit's at work and he's proclaiming the glory of the kingdom, right? What does the Holy Spirit do? We'll just talk just a few minutes. Now, a few minutes, like 10 minutes on this, right? So this is not going to be everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit, but I hope it whets your appetite. I hope it, it keeps leading you to understand more and more of the Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Right? One, he does the impossible. It does, he does the impossible. He's changing those hardened hearts. We saw that in Ezekiel. Right, a couple places in Ezekiel, it says he's been the one who's going to take, turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He's going to take that person who has no interest, who's an enemy with God, who's in rebellion, and bring them into this relationship to change their heart, to bring them into a loving relationship. He does the impossible. In Luke 18, when it's talking about the, the young man who says he wants to have eternal life, and Jesus says, you know, follow the law, now go sell all your things, and he's, he, he walks away. He can't do it. And the disciples are saying, well, if the rich don't enter the kingdom of God, how can we? And he says, with God, anything is possible, right? The Spirit is the one who's always doing the impossible. So I want you to think in your life, who is the impossible? Who, when you think about the person who is least likely to enter the kingdom of God, who is that? And I want you to think, is it really impossible? Considering the power of the Holy Spirit, considering the power that God has who can change any hearts, is it really impossible? It might be a son, it might be a daughter, it might be a family member, it might be a friend. Maybe it's a coach or somebody on the street. Remember this, that we will proclaim the kingdom of God. And with the work of the Holy Spirit, anything is possible because that's the day we live in the time of the proclaimed kingdom where people can enter into it. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, right? He's doing the impossible. Second thing is he's transforming people and dwells with them, right? Those who he's changed, whose hearts have been hardened, who he makes uh, soft, who enter the kingdom of God, he's transforming them, right? Doing a great work. The one thing he says is, I'm dwelling within you. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in our lives. If you've been thinking about it during this sermon series, you've heard about this kingdom of God, right? It's God's reign through his people in his place with his blessing, right? He dwells 
Now, not in Eden, not in the temple or the tabernacle. What we see now in this day and age, in the last days, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, in our lives. Some of us have heard that so many times it doesn't have the power, but think about this, that that if you, you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to the temple. And to come to the temple, you had to sacrifice and you had to come clean. Now, we have been made clean. And each one of us has the Spirit living within us. Do we understand that? Do we, do we take that to heart? In, in, sec, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, I've heard that term thrown out so many times. Uh, during COVID, you know, people said, Well, I'm not going to take the vaccine because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, I get that. But in the context where he's talking about this, He's talking about sexual sin. He's talking about sexual sin. He says, you you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, yet you are acting uh, like he is far from you. You are engaged in sexual activity that's outside of your marriage. You have been acting in a way that is not right. But it's not right because the Spirit is living within you. I think that Paul, when he's writing this, he's looking back to kind of Israel's worst times, right? Israel had several worst times. If you read their history right through, you know, 1 and 2 Kings, there's some bad times. But one of them was in the time of uh, King Josiah. King Josiah came into power, and he started to reform the country. In 2 Kings 23, it says he wanted to clean things up. He says, the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest next, to, next in rank as doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord, okay, hear that, to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and the starry hosts. So in this time, in the temple of God are all these articles, probably out of gold, that are made for false gods. Baal, Asherah, the sun, moon, the stars. That was in the temple. Josiah, that is not right. And he removed those. They took it out to the valley. They burned them, and then they took them out of the town. They just took all the ashes and and left. But then, what was else in the temple of God? The temple of God. The Asherah pole was in there. They took that outside of the Kidron Valley, burned it, and and scattered it on on the graves of the people who died before. He says, he also tore down the quarters, listen to this, of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. And the quarters of the women who did weaving for Asherah. In the temple of God that was reserved and built for the worship, the temple that that Solomon built was now articles to other gods. There were male prostitutes who were doing prostitute things in the temple. And then women weaving whatever to Asherah. I don't know what that is, but all these things are happening in the Holy Spirit. I mean, in the temple. And that did not please God. And therefore, in our lives, our bodies are the holy, are the temple, the Holy Spirit. Yet we have idols in our lives sitting in that temple. Whether it's comfort or recognition 
or value or money, security, whatever it is. We have our own sexual sin, right? Sex outside of marriage, pornography, all those things that are happening. And God's telling you, that is not right. That's not how I designed you. I called you. I brought you out of darkness. I put my love upon you. I want to be in that temple. I want that power to come inside your life. I want to bless you. I want to fill your life with all the joy and the blessings that I have. You've got to understand how important you are. You've got to understand you have Christ dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit. And so let's get rid of those things. Let's clean those things up. Let's give our heart to the Lord. Let's be transformed. Let him transform us. See, here's that, that, that part of it, that as we, as we look at transformation in the Bible, right, coming like Christ, there's always movement, right? It's never stagnation. I, I can think of some friends that I know that I, I've known from years and years back who, you know, went to Christian camp, who, who had that great experience, but here they are many years later, and it's like they haven't grown at all. They haven't grown at all, and like, what's going on? Were they ever a Christian, or are they just stagnant? Listen, I don't know about them, but I know about you. Here's what I want. I want you to start moving, right? Moving towards the cross, moving towards God. The, the words that we hear in Scripture is walk with the Spirit, right? Walk with Him, move. Stay in step with the Spirit. Right? Uh, in Ephesians 4, it says, In speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature like Him who is Christ. The expectation is that we are moving, that we are growing to become like Christ in our lives. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you may grow in your salvation. In Hebrews 5, but solid food is for the mature who by consistent use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Right? There's this movement of maturity. That as we walk with, with the Lord, as we walk with the Spirit, that He is transforming our hearts and we're growing. And that once when we used to be confused, what is good and what is bad, what should I do? The mature person's able to leave the bad behind. And just sit with the Lord and sit with his goodness. So how do we live? We live with the power of the Spirit. Uh, movement. There's transformation. There's change in our life. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's quick. But are we moving? Have we changed? I love the testimonies from our youth because that was one amazing time where in one week they grew in tremendous ways. Keep moving. Keep following the Lord. Walking with the Spirit. Follow Jesus, right? That's what he says. Jesus says so many times, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will live in the light. Whoever serves me must follow me. And if you serve me, my father will honor you. These are words that Jesus spoke. He says, keep your eyes on me and follow me. Read the scriptures and see what I do. And when you read the scriptures, if you look at what Jesus did, I mean, who did he love? He loved those who are on the outside, the, the marginalized. He showed great care and compassion and mercy. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we serve him, we love him, we obey him. 
How do we serve Jesus? In Matthew 25, he talks about, uh, you know, he's, uh, he says, you, you, you don't know that you are serving me, but when you serve the least of these, you served me. Think about that. The, when you serve the least of these, you serve me. Who in your lives are the least of these? Um, I don't know, immigrants or refugees. Um, the least of these. They, they don't know the culture. They don't know the language. When you serve an immigrant or refugee, and some of you were that too. You were immigrants years ago. When people served you, they were serving the Lord. Um, those with special needs or disabilities, those are homeless, um, the prisoners. When we serve people like that, we are serving God. So for those of you uh, uh, high school students, junior high students, high school students, you're going to go back to school in a little bit. I'm sorry about that. It'll happen. And that first day of school, there's going to be that freshman that is uh, just a little bit overwhelmed and Going up the stairs, he'll forget to unzip or zip up his backpack, and all of his books are going to just fall out of his backpack and come down the stairs. And many people are going to walk by and laugh at him. Maybe some will kick the books. But if you stop and pick up a book, pick up some papers, and say, it's going to get better, trust me, it'll get better, that act of service is serving the Lord. You have moments throughout the day, every day, to serve the Lord. That's how we follow him. We love him by worshiping him, enjoying him, learning to be fulfilled in him, and to obey him. That's why I love this language as a king, because it makes it a little bit more concrete, at least to me, right? Um, how do I obey uh, a king. I follow his law. I know what pleases him. I know what he wants me to do, and I do it. So as we are changed, this is how we do. We follow Jesus. What else? We love others, right? We love other people. This is what the command of the king is, right? People ask him, what do you want me to do? He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbors yourself, there's no greater commandment than these. That's the king's words. That's what he wants us to do. Love the Lord and love other people. Who are the other people? Uh, people in the church? People outside the church? Yeah, both. Both. We don't have to distinguish. He says, love the people around you. Care for them. Show mercy to them. Uh, not just individually, but as a body, as a corporate body. We are to take care of one another. In Ephesians 4, talking about the body of Christ, he says, be, be completely humble, all of us, right? Humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Right? We take care of one another. We know that people are hurt. We know people are wounded. We know life is hard. And it, it, it wrecks us. We've experienced that. And in this body of Christ, there are people that are hurting. There are people that are struggling. We come alongside and love them, respect them, care for them. We're kind. We're gentle. We show mercy. We make every effort to protect the unity through the bond of peace. So we're following Jesus. We're loving one another. The third thing, we, we strive for holy living. We're striving for holy living. 
right? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we should live differently. That's why in Galatians, we studied this a few months ago. He says, you need to crucify the flesh. Like, kill it. Kick it to the curb. Don't let it have any glory. Don't go back and take that, that, that flesh off the cross and wear it again. Let it die. All right? You have been purified from all that contaminates. In fact, Titus tells us that we've been redeemed and purified already. All right, for God's holy purpose, that we would be eager to do what is good. All right, it's, as we walk with the Spirit, it's, it's, it's loving God. It's being transformed. It's loving Him. It's loving others. And it's letting our lives be purified. And that's hard. It takes time. I get it. But the things that we are to strive for, how we are to live between His first coming and His second coming, all right, let's strive for holiness. Sanctification is another way to say it. That's a fancy word, right? But let's keep doing that. Let's live these values of the Holy Spirit. Live these values of love, peace, and joy, and, and so much more, and justice, and all of these things should be part of who we are as individuals and as a church family. How do we summarize this? Well, Paul says it this way. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, so let's make it our goal. What's our goal? To please him. Make it your goal to please him. We could say it many ways, fancy ways, use a lot of language. But can we just say this? Can we make it our goal to please the Lord? Please him by loving him, knowing him, loving others, serving others, striving for holiness, that's our discipleship, to become like Jesus, to look towards him, say, that's my goal. I'm going to do that. And as I do it, I'm proclaiming the kingdom of God. God is at work. He is at work right here, right now. It's 2,000 years since he left. It might be 2,000 more. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's shorter. Maybe longer. We don't know. But right now, how do we live? We keep our eyes on the kingdom. We keep our eyes on the king. And say, let us be transformed. I want to keep moving. I want to keep growing. As long as I have life in my body, I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. To love him, to love others, to pursue holiness. To proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, when I was younger, my mom would make cookies from time to time. And we'd always get so excited. And uh, we'd want to have the cookies. We'd want to taste those. And usually she'd say, nope, you can't have them. They're for the company that's coming for dinner tonight or whatever. But she's like, do you want the beater? Do you want to lick the bowl? <laughs> you know? And it was like there was three in our family, and there's only two beaters. So, you know, we had to, like, you had to be quick, you know. Um, but it was so, I loved it. Like, those are the great memories as a kid, you know, sitting over the sink with the beater, just licking every little last piece of cookie dough off of that. But that's just a foretaste of the cookie that's coming. You guys, our, how we live right now, this is the foretaste. This is the beater time, right? But there's going to be a day that's coming when it's going to come quickly, come like a thief, where the kingdom of God is going to come, when we will experience the kingdom of God in its fullness. But for now, 
let us proclaim that kingdom as long as we have breath, as long as we have life. Let's pursue Jesus and let's be changed from him by him as we transform by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.